want to ask you a question as we begin today. Is there something on your heart, a need, a burden, or a person that either you're afraid to start praying for because you don't have the faith that anything's really going to happen, or that you have been praying for so long that you're just weary of it and maybe doubtful that anything's really going to change? Or, as you pray, you find yourself praying small because that's all the faith that you can muster up. Whatever has come to your mind, if, if there is something that fits that description, whatever it is, I want you to continue to think about that as I read to you from Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, you are infinite, eternal and unchangeable. Will you, in these moments, by the power of our desire to act as your children in the power of your Spirit, enable us to be willing to think and ask bigger than we are now. That will only come, Lord, as you grant faith, which you have told us clearly is a gift. And so we pray that your spirit would do his work that we can't do in ourselves, 
And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We think and ask way too small. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. We think way too small, but there's there's a good reason for that. Because we are small. (laughs) Listen to what the Word of God says about Him. That His ways are not our ways. Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Isaiah 40, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Compare us to that, and we are small. So how do we, how do we think and, and act and ask small? Well... We do it because we are too finite. We think way too finite. We limit God to what we can think of or what we can imagine actually happening. 1 Corinthians 2.9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And again... Why, why do we think finite? Because we are finite. Why wouldn't we think in a finite way? So our, our tendency is to think that we're really asking for a lot when we aren't even beginning to bump up against what we can imagine. We think in terms of our experience, our learning, the laws of physics, probability, those are the things that we tend to limit our thinking and asking for. I was convicted of that this week. That's the problem, by the way, of being the one that stands up here. Uh, you, you guys, you, you get it for maybe 30 minutes, you know. I have to live with this all week long. And I was so convicted that in terms of our worship here and our services, that I, I found myself asking God to do things that really I, I could explain if they happened. In other words, asking Him to do things that if we had a really good Sunday, that it would actually happen. Now, I don't know if that was kind of a, a self-protection that I... Don't want to ask too big because if it doesn't happen, then it's, you know, a problem of faith or presumption or something like that. 
but this, this has weighed on me that, that I ask way too small, way too finite. And I think of God in that way. And so it's a caution for all of us. We also think way too short term. And that's another way that we think and ask way too small. Um, we're finite. We're impatient. So we're going to ask for short term things. Let me, let me give you an example. We ask for a longer life. And it's, that's not wrong. It's not wrong to ask for healing. It is right to do that. But think about it. Let's say we ask God to uh, extend our life here on this earth. What's that going to mean? Well, it's going to mean a few months, maybe a few years. And when we think of that in the big picture of things, it's pretty small. Now, I understand why people do that. I'm not rebuking you if you ask him for more time on this earth. There are wonderful things on this earth, our families and many blessings that, that we experience on this earth. It's not, it's not wrong to do that. I may do that when the time comes. Although I will tell you, when I was in the middle of a heart attack and I didn't know if that was it, and I was about to pass out, I wasn't prompted to ask for more time. That was a great comfort to me looking back. But listen to his promises. Listen to what he says, not about this life and a few more months, a few more years. But he, sa he says this. This is the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. A few more months or years of suffering Versus the glory that is to be revealed. At the second coming, this is what he says. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Do you see how small, how small it sounds, compared to that, to ask for a few months or a few years, it's okay to do that. Just realize that's asking small. Some of you have heard me share my theory. If you've been to funerals that I do, and I always talk about uh, Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. I, I talk about it because... Uh, there we see Jesus weeping. I think there are two and perhaps three reasons why he was weeping. There's, by the way, there's probably millions, but these are ones that, that I know. One is because when, when he considers death, he 
He, he has seen the results of a fallen world, and he knew that that's why he had come, to address that, that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And I think that's one reason why he wept. I, I'm convinced also that he, he experienced loss because of his friend. And he showed us that, that grief is all right. It's natural. That's how we're created. But here's the theory part, and I can't prove this, but I think it's very possible that another reason why he wept was because he was about to bring Lazarus back from what we just described, bring him back into this fallen world only to get sick and to die again at some point. And I think that may be one reason why he wept at Lazarus' tomb as well. There is a third way that we ask small. And that is we ask with our own answer in mind. Right? Now, we pray to God with the answer in mind. In other words, we tell God what would be best. Now, I'm not even saying that's wrong. I'm all for praying specifically. I think if you're going to pray in faith, you will pray specifically. So that's not necessarily the problem. But understand that just because you pray specifically, that doesn't mean that that's either the best answer or the way God is going to answer. I love the, the story of Augustine and his coming to Christ in his book, Confessions. Now, Augustine basically, um, as a young man, let's just say he pursued everything that an ungodly, a, a young man without God might pursue in this world. He was a wreck. And his mother, Monica, prayed for him constantly. She was a godly woman. At the age of 16, in the middle of the night, he ran away, and he was going to go to Rome. Now, when Monica found out, you can imagine the tears and the pain that she went through. He was going to Rome to explore and to experience all of those things he had been experiencing, but multiplied many times over because of the big city of Rome. But this is what Augustine writes in his Confessions. And I'm going to, because it was from the 400s, I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to translate into today's language. It's not that bad, but uh, I think they talked a little different back then. He said this, about his mother. And what did she beg of you, my God, with all those tears, if not that you would prevent me from sailing? So in, in other words, he's saying, what, what, what did my mom then pray? Don't let him go there. Don't let him go to Rome. She was convinced that was the worst thing possible. 
but you did not do as she asked you. Instead, in the depth of your wisdom, you granted the wish that was closest to her heart. You see what he's saying? To her request, don't let him go to Rome. God said, no, I'm going to permit him to go to Rome. For she saw that you had granted her far more than she used to ask in her tearful prayers. You converted me to yourself, and you turned her sadness into rejoicing and a joy for fuller than her dearest wish, far sweeter and more chaste than any she had hoped to find. Here's what happened. He went to Rome. God said no to Monica's prayer. Don't let him go to Rome. That's the worst thing possible. God said he's going to Rome, and in Rome he was converted to Christ. He met godly believers and came to Christ there. So here's what Augustine is saying. He's saying she asked for one thing, but you gave her what she was really asking for. You gave her what was closest to her her heart, She was really saying, bring him to Christ. And God knew the better way. So as we pray, understand that he's the God with infinite wisdom. He always does what's best for his children, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't seem like it, even when you can't figure it out, He is the Father that always does what's best for His children. Now when we ask according to His power, this passage, these last two verses say, that brings Him glory. Two ways. In the church, because the church is the vessel to dispense the glory of God. In the church and in Christ Jesus, who's the head of the glorious church. I recently mentioned John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader, had a a terrible early life, came to Christ, served Jesus the rest of his life, and, and wrote some magnificent things as he served him. But one of the things that he's known for are the almost unbelievable answers to prayer that he would receive. And he, as he would pray, he believed in what he called large askings. Remember that phrase, large askings. What he, he, would, he would ask for things that were beyond what, what most would dare ask for. And when people would ask him about it, he would cite what he, uh, he was a legendary story about Alexander the Great. Someone in this story approached Alexander the Great to, uh, and uh, Alexander wanted to marry this man's daughter. And the man said, you can marry her, but you have to pay me this huge sum of money. He didn't say huge sum of money. He gave an amount of money, and it was a huge sum of money. And Alexander said, okay, I will do that. And he sent him to his treasurer. So the treasurer, when the man said, Alexander said to pay me, 
this, this very, very large sum of money, treasurer said, well, I, I can't do that without getting a direct order from Alexander. And so he sent word back to Alexander and said, you know what, you can, you can marry this young woman for much less money than that. You, you really don't have to pay that amount, and it would still be very, very generous. This was Alexander's reply, according to Newton. No, replied Alexander. Let him have it all that he asked for. I like that fellow. He does me honor. He treats me like a king and proves by what he asks that he believes me to be both rich and generous. And then he said, in the same way we should go to the throne of God's grace and present petitions that express a great view of God's riches and his generosity. And that's why Newton was willing to have such large askings. So I ask you again, is there someone on your heart or something on your heart, a need, a concern, or a person that you are either afraid to start praying about because you don't have the faith that anything will happen or you've prayed so long that you're just weary or you've lost your faith that something's going to change or you've prayed small because your faith is small. Be reminded to whom you're speaking. The exceeding abundant one the one who is not limited by our imagination, what we can think, he's not limited by that according to this scripture, but is able to do far beyond anything we can ask or imagine. If you need strengthening in that, if you need faith, this table this table of abundance is for you. And all that we've talked about is illustrated right in this table. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11 of what is said there. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So the invitation is for those who are trusting in Christ alone. 
You don't have to be a member of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. You do need to be a member of His church and have publicly professed that. But if you are, you're welcome because it's a, it's a much bigger family than we just see here today. But how does this table illustrate? How does it illustrate the one who can do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine? In a moment, these elements will be passed around. And we'll pass the bread, and it'll be a a tiny little square of bread. And then we will pass the fruit of the vine, and it'll be in a, a tiny little cup. A very small amount. And yet, what this table represents and what this table is, is far beyond all we can imagine. It is beyond it because what it represents, that tiny little piece of bread, represents His body that hung on the cross for His people. The fruit of the vine represents an abundance of blood that was shed of infinite worth So much so that he could save all of his people from all the time past and all to to the present to all the time in the future. It's beyond what it looks like. That's what it represents. But what it is, is it's a means of grace. So that as we partake, It's not magic, but it is supernatural. When we partake by faith, that small amount, we will grow spiritually in Him. Why is that? Because this table represents the Lord Jesus Christ who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. To Christ be the glory. Let's bow together. Lord, even in these moments, we are in need of strengthening of our faith. There are folks in this room that are just absolutely struggling with being able to pray, period, much less pray large askings. And so, Lord, will you nourish us? Will you give us a bigger picture of who you are? And by your Spirit, will you give the boldness for us to to come to your throne of grace And realize, not because we deserve it, but because you are such a great Father that you love to give to your children that which is beyond all we can ask or imagine. And so we come to you
thanking you in Jesus' name.